Good morning, Pantano. Y'all are fired up today. Like I love, like I was backstage and uh, I was worshiping with y'all. And that last song, like, I can't help but move. I think I burned like 200 calories uh, while worshiping with y'all. Uh, hey, would you do me a favor? Thank our worship team. They do such an amazing job each and every week. And if you're worshiping online with us right now, we are so excited you're with us. Hey, just so you know, we all know you're there. We're excited you're there. Why don't you welcome all of them in with us this morning as well. We're so glad you guys are with us. Well, before we, before we dive into scripture, really quickly, uh, I just want to thank you for being a generous church. And just since I've been a part of Pantan over the last couple months, uh, you guys uh, were generous at Christmas Eve. We gave $100,000 to uh, the Homeless Initiative over the last couple weeks. Uh, I don't know what the final total is. It was like at $57,000 we have sent to the Ukraine as of earlier this week. Uh, how much now? Over $80,000. That's what I just heard. So... And, and there's something that you don't even know that you were a part of that I just want to share really quickly. There was a, a, a national church planning conference in the Dominican Republic. 300 church planners from around the globe uh, dropped into the Dominican Republic. And uh, we were able to send $10,000 to them to help more church planners from around the globe come. And there was a group from Poland that had come. Uh, and they landed after three days of travel. They landed to find out that uh, refugees from Ukraine were coming. They turned right around, got on a plane flew back to Poland, um, and we were able to use some of those resources for the church planning conference uh, to help more church planners go and be peacemakers all around the globe. So I just want to thank you again for what you guys are doing. You have no idea the global impact you're having. So round of applause for yourselves for how generous you guys are. Thank you. And that kind of ties right into what we're talking about today. In 2019, I sat in a room, and at glance, it was nothing special. Myself and about uh, 20 other leaders from around the globe, we had traveled to uh, Israel. And we spent about 15 days in the nation uh, of Israel. And we were uh, all over the countryside. We were seeing the biblical narrative of Jesus and where Jesus walked. And, and we were conflicted in this thing because we were seeing the beauty of the narrative of Jesus and what he did. And then we were thrust into this, this conflict between two countries of Israel and Palestine. And it was a really complicated thing that we saw. You know, if you know any history, there's been a, a deep battle over this land for, for decades between the Jews and the Palestinians. And, and so while we were there, we heard both sides of the conflict. And, and so we, we sat in an Israeli family's home the first night we were there. We had a Shabbat meal. And that, that's literally on Friday night when Sabbath takes place. Um, literally everything kind of shuts down. And they just focus on relationship with God. And we had this meal uh, in an Israeli family's home. And they shared the plight uh, of their side of the conflict. And, and we found ourselves like, man, this is deep. And we were conflicted. And we were like, man, we, we're so sorry for what you have gone through. And then... Then the next day, we went from the Israeli side and we drove into the Palestinian side. We went on the other side of actual, the literal wall into Palestine. And that night I sat in a Muslim family's home and I listened to them share their story in the West Bank on how they were being oppressed. And they, they told me stories of how soldiers on the wall, Israeli soldiers on the wall would shoot tear gas into the playground at the elementary school to see how they would react. And my heart got terribly conflicted. Because both sides need peace. Both sides need a peacekeeper. It's interesting, when you go to Bethlehem, we drove to Bethlehem on a bus, and I don't know if you know this, Bethlehem's not actually in Israel. Bethlehem's in Palestine. And so the bus, the, the bus takes you into a parking garage 
on the border of Israel and Palestine. And our guide told us, like the guides will tell you, they're like, okay, go up there. We can't go with you. But when you go up there, go up, get in, get out quick, because they're going to kill you if you don't get out of there. Which, by the way, that's a little disheartening, right? You're like, all right, this is going to be interesting. Here's what's really interesting. You get to the, you get to the Palestine side and you, you meet a guide at the, the Church of the Nativity and you get there and they will tell you, be careful going back to Israel because they're going to kill you. And now I'm like, where do we go? Is there like some other place we can go? Because I feel like we're going to get killed wherever we go. And it's just a terribly complicated conflict. And so I sat in this room the last day we were there. And it was really interesting because I just saw where where conflict for peace met beauty and love. We walked into the room. There was two people sitting in the room when we got there. One woman, she she was an older lady, Israeli lady. She let me tell you how to picture her because this is no joke. She if you're a James Bond fan, she looks just like M from James Bond. In fact, I thought it was her. She had the British accent. I was like, I'm meeting M from James Bond. This is the best day of my life. And then there was another man sitting next to her in the room who, uh, very dark skin, dark hair, looked like he was from that region. Her name was Robbie. Robbie began to tell her story as an Israeli woman. Her son was in the Israeli army. She had talked to him a few hours earlier in her story, and she said that uh, I talked to my son on the phone, and he was getting ready to uh, finish his duty as an Israeli soldier and was coming home the next day. Within the hour of her getting off the phone, he was uh, shot and killed by a Palestinian sniper. And she said, I was very, very angry. She said, I did not want peace. I wanted revenge. She shared her story. She shared her journey to that point. And then, then the man sitting with her, Saya, a father that it, you could see the pain in his eyes. He was a Palestinian. So you've got an Israeli woman and a Palestinian man sitting next to each other in this room, which, by the way, just doesn't happen. And he shares his story, that his 10-year-old daughter was on her way to school. She was on the front sidewalk of the school that she was about to enter into when an Israeli sniper shot her and killed her. And you see the pain in his eyes. And he said, I did not want peace. I wanted revenge. And so you see these two in the plight of this conflict, but what God has done in his infinite wisdom with these two is he, he's taken the two of them and fused them together for forgiveness. And as a Palestinian man and an Israeli woman, she had a lot of hatred in her heart for him. And, and I remember her saying when she met Saya and encountered his story as a father losing a daughter and her as a mother losing a son, She said this, I thought this was so imperative, and this isn't on your screen, but maybe you want to just write this down. She said, forgiving is giving up your just right for revenge. Don't miss that. Forgiving is giving up your just right for revenge. And then he said this, he said, by her forgiving me as a Palestinian, she released me from the prison of my own inhumanity. You see, when we work to bring peace, we give people their humanity back. When we work to bring peace, we look more like Jesus than ever before. That's why coming home from that trip, uh, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, which is our text today, it rings so true for me now. It says this, blessed are the what? What's it say, y'all? Peacemakers. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, and I love this, for they will be called children of God. By the way, what a great moniker to have, isn't it? That we would be children of God. That if we are peacemakers, we get, the, we get the moniker children of God. We get called children of God. So when I come home and my heart is deeply conflicted, and I was conflicted because I had to confront that there had probably been some hatred in my heart over my life too. Now I know some of you are thinking, wait, aren't you our pastor? You've hated people? Yeah, probably. Because you had to confront your own hatred in your own heart. I've seen people as the enemy. I've seen people as, as not like me or not thinking like me or not talking like me or not living like me. I've seen them in the past as the enemies in my life. And I had to reconcile when I got back that blessed are the peacemakers. You know who else sometimes I've seen as the enemy? Is myself. Some of you today, you, you don't see other people as the enemy. You see yourself as the enemy. And maybe you need to reconcile with God that you're not the enemy. Honestly, the enemy would love for you to think you're the enemy. So how do we become peacekeepers? Well, we're in week seven of a series called Playbook. And we've been walking through the Beatitudes. And, and this one here may be one of the hardest teachings inside of this. Now, each week, these Beatitudes, as they're called, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching, they build on each other. And I think they get progressively harder as we go through them. But they also make us look progressively more like Jesus as we live them out. So let me ask you, what about you today? You may be sitting here thinking, I don't have any mortal enemies. You may claim to not have hate towards anyone. However, I'm positive that in our culture today, most people have a side on which they fall. And as long as, as long as people are on your side, then you don't have any hatred or any enemies. But if they push against your views, they push against your beliefs, instead of conversations of peace, maybe, maybe we write them off. Or, or at a minimum, we, th- we see them as delusional, or at a maximum, as someone that's against you and is an enemy. So we as Christians, we claim that we, we love people and we show them Jesus by the way that we love them. Jesus says they will know us by our what? Do you know what? By our love. They'll know us by our love. They will know us by the way that we treat them and by the way we treat one another. I have this friend. He's got an incredible church up in the Phoenix area. And they begin to preach what it means to love your neighbor. And they begin to love on Muslim refugees that were in Phoenix. And they had over 1,100 people leave their church over it because they decided to love their neighbors well, to show them Jesus. And it breaks my heart because if we truly believe we have the light and the hope of the world, then we should look to bring peace in all people's lives. So I want to take you to Scripture. I want to take you down further in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus still teaching. Go down to verse 43. And I love this. He says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I love what Jesus says. He goes, but I say, love your what? <laughs> love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives us sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, What reward is there for that? I love this. He says, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. 
By the way, if you work in the tax industry, I'm sorry, you take a lot of heat in scripture, okay? <laughs> he says, if you're kind only to your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But he says, you're to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. I I love how right out of the gate, Jesus actually quotes the Old Testament book of Leviticus because he knows they're going to understand what he's talking about there. He's actually quoting the law to those that know the law. He's like, like, love your neighbor. When he talks about that, they, they knew exactly what he was telling them. Because if you go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, uh, verse 18, like the Levitical law, like nowhere in the law does it actually say hate your enemy. It doesn't say that. But here's what the Jews had done. That like when they were translating that, they translated it as to, to, to love only your neighbor. Love only the person like you. They, they were taking ma- like neighbor to mean those that live in the same demographic of life as you. So as long as we have the same everything affiliation, we love you. That's how they were translating it. But Jesus demonstrates love for all people, even sinful people. Which, by the way, um, we should all be thankful for that because we're all sinful people. J- just show of hands. Anybody sinful in the room? Y'all are pagans. We're all going. No, I'm just joking. No, that's... If you didn't raise your hand, you've got, the, um, you've got the sin of lying, so you need to raise your hand, okay? <laughs> like, we, we're all sinful people. That's why we need the grace and the love of Jesus. If it's been extended to you and me, then we have to extend it to others. And I love that Jesus is giving this message that's so countercultural. If we're really in sons of daughters of God, if we really have the character of God, then we will love people radically and exclusively as God, as God does. That we'll love people to see Jesus. Uh, honestly, this is the flip side of, of non-retaliation, if you want to know the truth. On one hand, we're, we're to be passive with an enemy through non-retaliation. But on the other hand, we're to be active with our enemies through love. So the best retaliation that you can have is not non-retaliation. The retaliation to your enemy is not revenge. It's actually love. What's interesting is if you've ever had an enemy in your life and you actually show them love, they don't know what to do with that. If, could you imagine getting punched in the face and you're like, I love you. What do you do with that if you've punched someone in the face and they're like, man, I love you, thank you. In fact, could you do that again? That was enjoyable. I mean, it just seems so counterintuitive to do that, but when Jesus drops these truths on the crowd, they would have become a little restless, especially when he makes a statement about the tax collectors. See, tax collectors were seen in the eyes of the Jews as the worst of the worst. They were traitors. They had sold out to the Roman government and were stealing from their own people. And they were serving false gods. And in the minds of the Jews, they, they, could, they could do better than these traitors, these heathens that they despise. How could Jesus say love them? They, they sold out to the Romans that are oppressing us. But, but that's just it. The religious elite act just like those sinners. They oppress too. They only care about people who are like them and can repay them. By the way, that's not love. That's transaction. That's business. Listen to Luke chapter six, verse 34. I love this. It says, and if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your what? What's he say again? Enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. 
Which, by the way, do you notice the theme of us being called children of God if we act as peacemakers and not revenge seekers? He's like, you'll be called children of God. In Luke, Jesus drops this in financial terms. If you only make a loan knowing you get repaid, you've sacrificed nothing. That's why my family, my wife and I, we just decided we don't loan people money. We just give it to you. Because if I loan you something, you feel indebted. And then you might not ever talk to me again because you're going to dodge me in some back alley, right? Okay, first of all, that sounded like I'm going to hunt you down in a back alley. That's not what I meant. That's why we just give it. We give freely. Somebody's like, hey, I need to borrow $20. No, you can have $20. Because I don't want you indebted to me. And I love that Jesus says here, if we, if we really love people, we don't expect anything in return. If we're going to be peacemakers, then we give out of the overflow. We give generously. Like we talked about at the beginning, you are developing peacemakers globally as a church just by your generosity. Imagine if we did that day to day, not with money, but with our time. With the way we love our neighbors, not like us. It begins to change the culture around us. Now, understand at this point, Jesus is nearing the middle of this Sermon on the Mount that we're actually studying the intro of. And he's saying some stuff that goes against every fiber of the religious culture that's been established by the religious elite. Like he's pressing hard against it. In fact, you have to understand when he's talking about loving your enemy, that's coming on the heels of his last point in his message. Of what we talked about last week and the weeks before. And the crowd at this point, they, they would have been picking their jaws up off the floor like, how could you teach this stuff? And the text is actually uh, on the, like the bow on the verse of 38 through 41. Listen to this. This is where Jesus just goes for broke. He says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt's taken from you, give him your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. It's interesting because Jesus right here, he's saying, I want you to be peacemakers, not conflict getters. He's like, I'm telling you, this is how you become a peacemaker. And the, the crowd, especially the religious leaders, when they hear this, they're going to be like, there is, this is going to get Jesus crucified, these kind of teachings. This stuff right here, this is where the religious leader are like, we got to get rid of him. He's, he's bucking the system. Like he, he's, he's talking crazy talk. And then he talks about the Roman soldiers. Here's why you got to understand that's a big deal. The Romans are oppressing the Jews at this point. And there was this law. If a Roman soldier was walking down the road with his pack, and he's walking along and he, and he sees a Jew working in his yard or working in his field and, and he's tired. He could just say to the Jew, hey, come here, you're going to carry my pack. And the Jewish individual had to do it by law. Now, the requirement of the law was one mile. And they had mile markers on the road, much like you see along our highways, right? And there was these mile markers and that was to let the Jews know how far they had walked. And so if a, if a Roman soldier said to the Jew, carry my pack, the Jew was required by law to do so. And if they didn't do it, they could be flogged, they could be beaten or even killed. Now I'm guessing that the average Jewish person was not real excited when they had to pick up a backpack. I'm not guessing they picked it up and were like, I'm so pumped about this. Yes, Mr. Roman, I would love to carry your 5,000 pound pack down the road. And Jesus says, if they ask you to do it, don't only take it one mile, take it two. Here's the problem with taking it one mile. If you walk one mile with the pack, you know how far you got to walk back? 
A mile. That's the basic math, y'all. Just in case you were wondering, that was not a trick question. Some of you guys are like, no, I don't know. It was a mile back, okay? <laughs> it took me a week to figure out that math, so it's okay. It, it, so you knew if you were going to carry it a mile, you had to turn around and walk back. And whatever you were doing that day was going to be put on pause because of the Roman soldier. And the Jews hated the Roman soldiers because they were these Gentile foreigners that were running the country and they had to pay taxes to Caesar now. So carrying a Roman soldier's heavy pack would have created some hatred in their hearts. They didn't want to make peace with the Roman soldiers. And Jesus says, here's the deal. If the Roman soldier comes by and says, hey, you, Jew, carry my pack. He says, I want you to carry it too. And not only carry it too, don't be mad when you got to carry the pack. Actually use carrying the bag as an opportunity because you got to walk a mile with them and they got to listen to you. This is why I love playing golf. I like getting paired with people that don't know Jesus and that don't know I'm a pastor. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Especially because I've seen Jesus lost more on a golf course than anywhere on the planet Earth. I've also heard a lot of people that don't know Jesus proclaim his name a lot on a golf course. (laughs) But I get four hours where they can't get away from me. The Roman soldiers got at least a mile. They couldn't get away from a Jewish man or woman. Can you imagine? Just picture it. Roman soldier says, hey, you, take my pack. And the Jewish guy goes, oh, man, I've been waiting all day for this. I imagine the Roman soldier would be like, okay, slow your roll a little bit, okay? Like, he's like, no, seriously. I I was hoping you'd come by here today. Actually, give me your bag. And I imagine he gets it and he he straps it on. He's like, man, this ain't so bad. He's like, let's go for a walk. And the Roman soldier's kind of like, okay. I don't know what you're doing right now, but I don't like it. Can you imagine if they start walking and the, and the Jew starts to say things on the start of the walk like, so how long have you been a soldier? Like, what do you mean how long have I been a soldier? Like, how long? Like, is it something you've always wanted to do? Like, did you go to like soldier school or something? Did they have that? Like, I'd like to know the process. And maybe the Roman soldier, a little apprehensive, but he tells a story. Maybe the Jew says, so man, are, are you married? How long have you been married? Oh, you got kids? Oh, me too. How old are your kids? Oh, you, your kids are crazy too? Mine too. Isn't it nuts? Oh, you got teenagers? Oh, yeah, we got one of those too. Jebediah, he's out of control. You know, I mean, it's just bad. I don't know that that's a biblical name. I just made that up. And all of a sudden, they get to the mile marker, and the Roman soldier now, he's waiting for the mile to be done. He's like, i got to get this guy off my back. And they get to the marker, and he goes, hey, man, you can put the pack down. It's good. You you fulfilled your duty. You can go on home. And the Jew goes, actually, you know what? I'm really enjoying this. Can can I go another mile with you? I imagine at that point, the Roman soldier's like, "Um, I I don't know. (laughs) And I just picture the Jewish guy walking ahead of him going, come on, man, this is great. And somewhere along that journey, I wonder if the Roman soldier says to him, why are you doing this? And he goes, well, here's the deal. I met this guy named Jesus. And he changed my life. And he told me things I didn't know about myself. And he transformed the way that I think and the way that I live. And for the longest time, I hated you as a Roman. I didn't like you. And actually, I wanted you dead. But he told me that if I'm really going to act like him, live like him, and transform people, then I should forgive you and love you the way that he loved me. So I just want to hang out with you and see if maybe we can do something together. 
See, it's usually not in the bitterness of the first mile that people see the love of Christ. It's in the forgiveness of the second mile. It's in the transformation of picking up the pack. And if you really want to be a peacekeeper, then you got to stop seeking revenge and hatred and start seeking how you can build bridges with other people. People not like you. People not like me. The neighbor across the street that has a different political sign in their, their yard than you do, they're not the enemy, y'all. As much as we might want to think so, they're not the enemy. Let me remind you who the enemy is, Satan. Satan's the enemy. Your neighbor across the street's not the enemy. The person in office that you don't like is not the enemy. The person on the other side of the globe that's not doing things that we think they should be doing is not the enemy. The enemy is Satan. He will always be the enemy and he will distort humanity so that we will not be peacekeepers but revenge seekers. And if we really want the world to be transformed, then we, be, we become peacekeepers. If we're truly children of God, then that, that is what we are called to be is peacekeepers. See, the the Christians explains to this guy, I, I'm just a disciple of Jesus. How many second miles do we need to walk this week, church? Where do we need to walk second miles this week? Could, could you imagine loving your neighbor, loving your coworker, your mortal enemy with extra mile living in grace? How would that change? What if you didn't see their political flag? What if you didn't see that their different beliefs? What if you didn't see how they live differently than you do and you don't really like it? What if you saw how their lives could be redeemed and recovered? What if you didn't see the grievances that a family member has caused to drive a wedge between you and them, but an opportunity to show love and grace like Jesus? You know what I think would happen? More people would know the transformation of Christ. As if we saw this a little differently. Here's what I know about loving my enemies. Actually, in order to change my enemies, I actually have to start with changing myself. It starts with me. I'll never change my enemy's heart if I don't change my own. In fact, I want you to write this down today. You will never change anyone if you don't allow God to change you first. You will never be able to bring peace into the life of someone in your world unless you allow God to bring peace into your own life. You can't make peace if you've never made peace with God yourself. You can't do it. See, loving your enemy by going an extra mile starts with changing who we are first. And then asking God to show us how they need to be changed too. It's interesting to me if you go back and you read verses 21 through 48 of Matthew 5. And I don't have time to unpack all that scripture with you right now. I'd encourage you to go back and read it this week. But if you go back and you read that set of verses in chapter 5, you get a list of what it looks like to be an actual citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Like if we grasp this, we move towards the character of God. Let me ask you, how many of you guys want to look a little more like Jesus? Just show of hands, anybody? Okay, that's good, because if not, we got a lot more teaching to do today, okay? <laughs> like, if you really want to do that, he gives us a roadmap of extra mile living, of how we become peacemakers, not revenge seekers in this world. And he, and he talks about, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Things like, don't hate. Don't lust. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, which, by the way, come back next week. Rebecca's going to unpack that beatitude with us next week. See, Jesus not, is not calling us to be morally flawless as God is. He's calling us to love as completely and maturely as God does. He's asking us to love people the way he loves us. 
This means we love both the good and the evil, both our friends and our enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. In Jesus' typical concern for unlove, he puts it this way, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Just so you know, those words are difficult, but they're not impossible. They're difficult, they're not impossible. And this may very well echo the sentiments of Leviticus 19, that law we talked about earlier, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Being holy is picking up the pack and going an extra mile for the purpose of peace, to be peacemakers, that we would be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We're to, to, we're to reflect the character of the king, which is peace, which is loving the world around us the way that we've been loved to all people, including our enemies. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, honestly, this may be the hardest one for most of us. At least it is for me. This is a hard one. Because loving Jesus, loving our friends, loving our significant other, loving our families, those are fairly easy in the scheme of love. But loving those who oppose us, loving those who aren't like us, loving those who press against every fiber of who we are, that's hard. And for some of us today, if we really claim to love Jesus, then we're going to have to love our enemies like he's loved us. We're going to have to seek peace with those that maybe we don't want to be so peaceful with. Like we understand he went to the cross for our sin, right? Like if you don't know Jesus, let me just explain. Jesus died on your behalf so that you wouldn't die for your sin. Like he actually took your place. He longs for us to step in and help people see that same love. We're loved even though we're enemies in our sins. So how do we practically live this out? I have these friends at an organization called Amplify Peace. They're actually part of the group that I went to Israel with. And here's some statements they have. And I just, I'm going to throw these on the screen real quickly. And I, maybe you want to jot these down. But here's some of the things they say. They say, we seek to understand rather than be understood. Like you want to start bringing peace in the lives of others? Go in the extra mile. Seek, seek to understand. See, when you just see a story, you can make assumptions. But when you look someone in the eye, you see the person. You see a mom, a dad, a friend, a neighbor. They say we humbly listen and learn. We don't sit in judgment. Before we judge, let's, let's sit and listen. Let's learn. Uh, they say we have healthy dialogue, not debates. My dad says all the time, he's like, you don't want to get in a debate with somebody else because honestly, neither one of you are going to convince each other the other one's right. I don't debate people. Let's just have dialogue. They also say we ask questions respectfully. By the way, respectfully is, hey, can I ask you about this? And could you just help me understand? It's not like, I think you're an idiot. Can you tell me why you're an idiot? <laughs> Basically the same question, do you hear the difference? If you don't, come see me after service. I'll explain the difference in those two statements, okay? We respect each other's unique journey and perspective. Everybody's living a story. Respect the story. We honor relationship over the need to be right. Now, when we stop trying to be right and we just try to enter relationship, it's amazing how quickly the peaceful walls begin to be built. Then they say, we believe we are engaging a story bigger than our own. If you want to be a peaceful individual that brings peace to other people, understand the greater story at work 
is the story of peace that God brings. So today, if we're going to be peacekeepers, peacemakers, peace bringers, we've got to go the extra mile and love our enemies. And it's interesting, we might just find that they go from enemies to fellow followers of the way. Seeking truth, seeking love, seeking grace. That the world will not know us by our judgment. The world won't know us by our hatred. They will know us by our love. That we would love them like Jesus loves us. So let me ask you, who do you need to make peace with today? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's that coworker that every time you show up at work, you roll your eyes and like, oh. You see their car in the parking lot and you're like, I cannot believe I got to do this for another eight hours. I just say, if that's the person in your life, that's probably the person you need to start making peace with. Maybe it's with a family member, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a spouse, a child. Maybe for you, it's in the mirror. You gotta make peace with you. You've been pretty judgmental of yourself. You don't even wanna walk half a mile with yourself, let alone an extra one. And yet you just can't get away from you, can you? You're everywhere you go. Maybe it's time to make peace with Jesus in your own life. In fact, if you wanna get the play guide for this week, we've given a play guide every week that kind of dives a little deeper into this. I would encourage you, text PEACE to 46356. Download that guide this week. Dig a little deeper. Find some easy and practical ways to love your enemy this week. And for some of you today, it's Baptism Sunday, which by the way, I will submit every Sunday as Baptism Sunday. We just have organized Sundays a few times a year, right? And we've got, I think we've got 26 people over the course of the next two hours are getting baptized today, which has something to celebrate. Maybe that's you today. The fastest way to, to find peace is to find Jesus and to die to an old self and raise a new life. Die to that old judgmental self and raise to a new peacekeeping life. So maybe you're not scheduled to get baptized today, but God's like, oh, you're scheduled. You just didn't know it. And if that's you, you can come right down to this sign over here to my right, your left in this room. If you're online, you can talk to a chat host. We had somebody last week that was like, I wanna get baptized, but I don't live in Arizona. We'll help you figure that out. Maybe that's you today. I don't know where you fall in this making peace, but here's what I know is making peace is active. It's an action. You can't sit still and make peace. You gotta move to make peace. And so this week, I would say, take one step in the right direction to the right person to make peace with that person or with yourself or with Jesus. And I promise you, if we are a peacemaking people, it transforms the world around us. So I just wanna pray for us. And I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to just stay where you are for a second. And we're gonna have a time of decision and our team's gonna sing and you can sing with them and celebrate. But use this time as a time of prayer as well. Of God, how do you make me a better peacemaker? Let's pray. Father, today, God, I pray that we would be a people of peace. Make us to look more like you. Help us to show the world around us that we're willing to go the extra mile so that they would know you. That blessed would be the peacemakers. God, that we're children of God. God, we repent if we've not looked like you, acted like you, 
showing the world who you really are. And God, we commit to be a peacemaking community together. God, change us, transform us, redeem and restore us, recover us. God, if there's somebody here today doesn't know you and they wanna know you, God, lead them to have conversations. God, if there's somebody here needs to be baptized today, God, I pray that, uh, God, you would just add their name to the, to the roster today of people that need to die to an old self and raise to new life. God, we love you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for we are your children. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.